start the process of transferring for Tuesday, April 30th, year 2013. Everybody. And it is Tuesday, April 30th, 2013. I'm Long Zhu, sitting in for Bill and Mike. I don't know why. I'm just here. I just do a radio show. Anyway, that's all me. Anyway, so I guess Bill and Mike are not able to do the show. I got a rep planning meeting to go to now. So, we're going to feature an interview that I did today. I did three of them. But we're going to feature one now. Let's hear it, uh, Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity of being here. Bless all the listeners and supporters of the station. Look after Bill, Kim, and everybody waiting to the staff. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Here's the gentleman who is now leading the Xavier Cougat Orchestra. Here we go. Hi everybody, I'm Walton Hughes on the line. I bet a very, very basic gentleman at this time of the year. Greg, and I hope I don't blow this last name, everybody. Perhagen. Is that very well, close? <laughs> close enough. Uh, Pernhagen. Pernhagen, okay. Yeah. Okay. I always tell people it's like Hagen does with the pern in front of it. So. <laughs> Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about the Xavier Cougat Band and a little bit about Greg's music background. First of all, Greg, how in the world did you get involved in music? Well, I got involved in music uh, because I was musically inclined from childhood. I, um, you know, just always I loved to sing. I played the piano. I mean, we had a, my grandparents gave us a piano and I just you know, climbed up on the bench by the time I was like probably not even four years old and I started playing by ear and it kind of went from there. You know, I um, loved music uh, in grade school, picked up the clarinet after the piano, um, eventually took lessons on both of those things. Mm -hmm. um, stopped singing for a while when my voice changed when mm -hmm. I was a teenager. Uh-oh. Uh, but then I got back into it again uh, when I was about 16 or, yeah, I guess 16 years old. Right. I was encouraged to uh, do that, and I, at the time, was also, you know, quite proficient at clarinet and thought I might go for a horn player's life, mm -hmm. um, but then when it 
came time to go off to a conservatory, I decided to go with voice. I just said, oh, something about it really, you know, just hit me even uh, more deeply right. musically. So that's uh, that's kind of like the uh, the basic background, or the early background. So did you study classical voice training in, in the conservatory? What, what did you actually wind up studying in terms of voice? I, well, I started... Uh, as, actually, it's funny. I, I was a baritone, but okay. when I got when I got to school, um, I had a uh, really you know very gifted and you know wise mentor who thought that my voice was so lyric that I must be a tenor, and so he kind of pushed me up for a while, and um, it just didn't really work. But eventually, I found another teacher, and after working with him for some time and feeling frustrated about not being able to sustain you know the high tessitura. Right. I said, you know, I started out as a baritone, and he said, well, let's take you back down and see what happens, and so that's what we did. And uh, and yes, it was basically, uh, you know, just your typical conservatory training, classical, you know, languages, diction, um, you know, movement, all of those things. Sure. And then after the conservatory, what have you pursued in terms of your music background? Well, uh, here's where it gets really interesting. Um, when I started singing again, uh, you know, in high school, right. I, you know, started doing musical theater, you know, and those sort of things. And that was a lot of the music that I grew up with. Um, I had an older sister who also uh, was studying voice and was singing. Um, she was quite a bit older than I am mm -hmm. uh, because I was adopted when I was a kid. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, so that there was all the sheet music in the house, and I think, you know, that's why the piano was there. And I, I was kind of drawn to, you know, the Tin Pan Alley and the American Songbook. Right. But when I started doing the classical thing, I, of course, was doing art songs and, you know, arias and oratorio and yeah. going that whole route. Um, but I always, you know, I, I still occasionally, you know, would indulge in doing the other, you know, types of music, American, you know, the popular song. Um, and what happened is because of the clarinet, I think the training, I developed a really great ear for atonal music and 20th century music. And so I started doing a lot of contemporary music because a lot of composers in New York found out that, you know, I could just read pretty much anything they put in front of me. And okay. so I was able to handle a lot of really, you know, eclectic and crazy pieces. And so that's kind of where things started to go. Um, but I always wanted to also, you know, pursue the older music, right. you know, the, the, the American music. Right. And so I started doing, uh, putting together cabaret shows that I worked with a you know, musical director and started going that route and uh, did a few of them and then kind of got swept up again into the new music scene and uh, became affiliated with Philip Glass, with uh, the composer. Mm -hmm and his ensemble and started doing a lot of touring. And on top of that, I got into another quartet that was a kind of virtuosic acapella group. Uh, the composer's name was Toby Twining and he wrote the music and was countertenor, soprano countertenor, uh, tenor and me bass. Mm. And we got picked up by BMG, we got management, we started to do his music, which was really kind of crazy, almost like Bobby McFerrin meets Manhattan Transfer. <laughs> You know, really, you know, if, if you could find if you can find it, I think it's been re the uh, album has been reissued. 
Uh, it's really otherworldly. It's like nothing that anyone else was doing. I mean, it's kind of like Bob Ingersoll, but it's a little more spacey and out there. Um, so all of that was going on, and so I just kind of put the other stuff in, on the back burner. Right. And then 9-11 happened, and I thought, you know, you just never know if you're going to be here tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you shouldn't put off the things that you really want to do, and I just had this ache that I wanted to at least be doing cabaret again, if not taking it even further. And so I started working again, and one of the ideas that I had for a show was about Desi Arnaz, because I am half Cuban, mm-hmm. even though my last name is Pernhagen. And uh, since I was adopted, I didn't grow up with any Latino culture. It was mm-hmm. all, you know, middle class, Italian-American, you know, just, you know, an American family. Right. But, of course, I related to Desi because, I, I guess I should say I related to Ricky Ricardo because I saw him on TV every day. Yeah. I... You know, he was musical. He had a big temper. I had a big temper because I think I, you know, I'm Cuban. I have a temper. You know, when I was a kid, I would have these, you know, these huge tantrums, and I could be so hot-headed. And so that was one of the, the ideas that I wrote down. And I did a couple of shows just to get back into it, and then I decided to tackle that. Mm-hmm. And so. I researched his life, became so fascinated because I realized, even though I was a huge fan of the show, I love Lucy, I really didn't know a lot about his actual background. Right. And, uh, you know, and his the business acumen and, I mean, you know, what he, you know, how he created S.A. Lou and just yep. the things that he did without any formal business training, without, you know, becoming, I mean, just getting into the business without really studying music, I mean, just kind of falling into it. I thought it was incredible, and, and it was so much fun to do his music. Uh, you know, I looked into what his band played, and I you know, didn't do just the songs for My Love Lucy, but I kind of expanded it, and so ended up doing some of the rep that the Cougar Orchestra was also doing, because that was the rep of the time. It was you know, yep. sort of what got introduced to the, you know, to the States. And so the show went really well, and I got really nice reviews, um, I won a, an award from Backstage Magazine, and then a couple of people, uh, producers approached me about turning it into an off-Broadway show. So we looked at the cabaret, we decided to expand it, we decided to um, increase Lucy's involvement, and we put it up, and it was the fall of 2008, which was, of course, when the market crashed. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And, you know... My little tiny show about that internet just you know, I couldn't keep it going. It just, yeah. you know, everything faltered. I mean, just people stopped going out in New York and, you know, pretty much everywhere because nobody knew what was going to happen. So, and you know, for, so and, and, and for our audience, it's not cheap to take care of the unions and everything to go do a Broadway show or an off-Broadway Absolutely. show. Absolutely, and, and the, the licensing oh, for... Yeah licensing for the songs, um, you know, the overhead, um, you know, all of which I learned kind of on the fly. I mean, I wasn't really producing the show, but I, you know, was more involved because I had put it together and I, you know, brought my, the musicians uh, that came in had been working with me. And so I felt a lot of responsibility, um, you know, which also made me identify a little bit with both Desi and Ricky Ricardo, you know, when you have a band. Yep. It's a lot of mouths to feed, you know, you, yep. you, and you're, you know, you're, uh, everyone's looking at you. you right. Know, you've got the, the baton in your hand and you're up there. So, um, 
so so the show, you know, the, the show had to close sadly, but I was able to keep it going with a couple of you know sporadic performances and. This is all. There's a point to this, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that will lead us to Xavier Cugat. Um, I was going to do the show out on Long Island at Hofstra University, mm-hmm. and I got a call from my director. Um, you know, I don't know about a month before we were uh, scheduled to uh, to do the performances, and he said, "Have you ever heard of a guy named Bob Kasha?" And I said, no. I said, well, he called me up and he said, you know, that he had something to do with the Xavier Cougat Orchestra and he was really interested in talking to you. And so, of course, I was interested to talk to him as well. So he, so the director, you know, put us in touch with, you, with each other. And so what it turns out is that Bob Kasha was a, a big band booking agent with the Willard Alexander Agency ah. in New York. And um, I think he probably started, I don't know, maybe late 50s and into the 60s. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, also a pianist, a really fine, you know, sort of filigree style uh, player. Um, and, you know, Willard, you know, fired him initially and then brought him back and he and eventually became one of the most successful booking agents in the office. So he worked with everyone. He worked with, you know, Glenn Miller's orchestra and Tommy Dorsey and Ellington. I mean, just, you know, all the big, big names yep, yep. came through that, that, that agency. So um, he was doing that for a long time, and his wife, Ada Kasha Cavallo, was uh, a singer. And she had a nightclub act, and she had a career. You know, she opened for Bob Hope and, you know, you know Vic Damone, and had a really nice uh, career going as a solo act, you know, sometimes with a small ensemble. Mm-hmm. They met, and it's a wonderful story, but, you know, maybe I won't do that right now. Um, and they got married, and they were both kind of working in their separate careers, and they decided that maybe it would be fun to do something together. So when Reagan was his second inaugural ball, he, I don't know, he somehow it became known that he wanted to have the Xavier Cougat Orchestra hmm. at, his, at one of the inaugural balls because right. he loved the, the music and, you know, he had been around, you know, on the scene back yeah. when it was all fresh and new. Yeah. So Bob, uh, with the help of Tito Puente, put together an ensemble to play for the event. And it got lots of press, and it was a big hit. And some people said, you know, hey, you know, Cougat, you know, Cougat had tried to keep things going, but he had sort of basically retired. Right. And let everything fold. This is, I'm guessing this is like probably like 1985, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, just about. And I think Xavier lived into his 90s, around 2000, if I recall, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so, so Bob uh, approached Cougat and said, you know, there's interest in this, and you know, would you let us run with it? And Cougat, of course, you know, he was such a an astute businessman; he always wanted to make money. Mm-hmm. He basically uh, sold them the rights to the name and gave them his archives and all of the music. I mean, so they had the deck they had all the arrangements right um and so they took it and they called themselves the new xavier kukat orchestra and they started to tour um so so they were going and going and going 85 you know now we're talking 2000 like nine so you know like 25 years almost Mm -hmm. they were ready to retire so they had been looking for somebody to come in and Ada had been conducting the orchestra. Bob was, you know, leading at the piano, but Ada basically was fronting. And they had brought in a couple of guys who did 
uh, you know, Jesse Arnaz impersonations, and you know, just to add that element to the show, right, right? Because of course, you know, most big band people will know that, you know, Desi was discovered, in fact, by Xavier Cugat, mm -hmm. and if it weren't for Xavier Cugat, you know, who knows where his life would have taken him out of Miami, right? So, so they tried a couple of guys, and uh, just you know, didn't really find the right person. It wasn't they were more performers; they weren't you know conductors per se. So they put it on the back burner. And then they saw a notice that I was going to be appearing in the show called Baba Lucy. That was the name of my show. It was ah. Baba Lucy, the, the Art of Desi Arnaz. Mm -hmm. uh, play on Baba Lucy. Sure. Or, I mean, Baba Lou, and also I Love Lucy, because yeah, I really focused on him, but it did have a little touch of, of the show. Right. And so that's why Bob got excited. So they contacted me, and we, um, you know, we traded materials, CDs, and DVDs, and you know, press yeah. kits, yeah. and then they decided that they thought that, you know, I was, uh, you know, sent from heaven, basically, <laughs> um, because I, you know, fit the bill. I mean, I, I could bring the Desi element to their show, but I also had a really strong musical background, and I, you know, had actually studied conducting, and it was one of my dreams, really, what to, when I was in my 20s, was to conduct, and then, you know, just got wrapped up in, in a performing career and thought, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. Right. I never dreamed that I might come back to a place where I would be able to have another, you know, have a chance to do it. Sure. Um, but that's what's happened. So, um, so we've put the band back together, and uh, we've had a few shows, and they've gone really well. And uh, you know, just basically putting it back out there, and you know, looking to gain momentum and word of mouth, and and you know, just bring it to. Uh, as many people as I can, because the music is so fantastic. Oh, Amor, Seminole, great. For people who may or may have forgotten, Xavier Cougar really hit it bit in America about 1944. They were in the Second World War, and there was a strong love for Latin music during that time. And he, was, well, he was kind of one of the first. Yeah. Um, so people were just, they were galvanized. Yep, and well, most you know. people might have forgotten that Desi... Wound up, hit band wound up being part of the Bob Hope radio show in 1947. Exactly, Desi was the musical director. Yeah. That and, was something that blew my mind. I had, I didn't know that. And so you had a strong love for the sound. And uh, so, so Greg, let's, let's talk about the band itself. How is mm -hmm. it flexible? Can you go down to a small piece? Do you go up to the sick king? What the well, conversation? What? How do you put it together, basically? Well, we basically, uh, what Bob and Ada had been doing, they had been working with uh, thirteen pieces, um, and you know there was talk of you know if you ever if we got the budget, you know we could add strings because Kugat did have strings yeah. involved. Um, but the the funny thing is, and they told me this when they met with him, and then they, you know, got the library and started to look at things. I mean, Kugat was always, uh, I don't know if you want to say improvising, or just being, he was extremely flexible. He would, you know, he'd have a job where they'd want, you know, 32 pieces, mm -hmm. and he'd say, okay, fine. And But then they'd, you know, they have arrangements, you know, for three trombones, two violins, and, you know, and, and three saxophones. I mean, there were just all these kind of crazy permutations depending upon what was called for right um, so so what I've done and what I was encouraged to do was to come with a smaller to have a, a medium-sized format uh, because just in this economic climate it's really difficult to sell a, a big band yeah. because of, you know the overhead 
Um, so we do, of course, have a big show, which has 13 pieces. Um, it also usually can involve a dance team, which I've worked with, which I inherited from, from Bob and Ada. Mm -hmm. um, I have a girl singer. I have occasionally I have a comic singer who does you know some novelty numbers. But then we also have an eight-piece uh, ensemble, which is just kind of scaled down. And, and again, that can be, you know, depending upon the presenter, we can have involve as many or as, as few extra bells and whistles as necessary. Uh, because it just seems like a, a better way to at least get things out there so that yeah. people can hear it and, and get excited. And it's, you know, there's still the same arrangements. Um, when I did uh, Baba Lucy, since I was producing it myself, I couldn't really afford to have the big band that I heard in my head, but yeah. I had a really talented musical director and arranger, and so we used basically piano, bass, drums, congas, and just three horns. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we got a nice sound out of it. Um, so I'm adding it, making it a little bit bigger uh, for the Kugat show, um, but just, you know, trying to be as adaptable as possible. So. When you do go out and play, how much? What what's the book like? I mean, when you go out and run run down your arrangement for the night, are there so many of the famous Latin songs? Do you go for you bring in stuff, you bring in so yeah. many of the American song book? How do you actually mix the the, uh, the program for the evening? Well, um, I mean, right now it's it's so new for me. I mm -hmm. mean, I've basically been doing the same program. I mean, there there are all these other songs which I eventually would like to incorporate into the repertoire, but, I mean, we're talking about, you know, Brazil, yep. um, you know, of course, my shawl, his theme song, yep. uh, Renesi, uh La Comparsita, which is done as a live tango with the dancers, right. um, Mambo Number no. 5, um, Quien Será, and then we've incorporated... Come do your convention and go home. We've incorporated... Come do your convention and go home. We've incorporated. Come do your convention and go home. We've incorporated. Come do your. One man's family, brought to you by T A B C I N Tabson. The new improved antihistaminic compound cold tablets made by Miles Laboratories, makers of Alka-Seltzer. One Man's Family is dedicated to the mothers and fathers of the younger generation and to their bewildering offspring. Today we present Chapter 7, Book 73, entitled A Day for Jubilation. Friends of One Man's Family, this is Paul Barber. You've just heard the name of the new product which is to be sponsored on this show by Miles Laboratories, Tabson. I'm not going to try to explain Tabson because that's the job of our announcer. All I want to do is make you aware that Tabson is an antihistaminic tablet for colds and hay fever, that it's made by a manufacturer of drugs and medicines with a worldwide reputation, and that we're bringing it to you on One Man's Family because we have great faith not only in Miles Laboratories but in what they say about Tabson. Join with us in making this new product welcome as a permanent part of one man's family. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 
the postman who delivers the mail in the Seacliff District of San Francisco sorts his letters in the post office preparatory to his customary rounds. He glances at the names and plops the letters into his leathern sack. They're familiar names. Hmm, quite a little bundle for Henry Barber. Not the usual type of letter Mr. Barber receives. Something special at that household? Mr. Paul Barber, letter with a foreign stamp. A couple of circulars. You were over home the day Mother practically discovered Tabson all by herself. Oh, yeah, Tabson, the new antihistamine cold tablet. Of course. Does it really work? Of course it works. It works wonders. The woman says wonders. And I mean wonders. Stan came home with a beautiful case of sniffles and sneezes, growling and complaining of a sore throat, the usual symptoms. Yeah, even I could diagnose a cold coming on a mile off. So I brought out the Tabson bottle and had him take a tablet right then and there. He took another one before bedtime, and the next morning he felt fine. That's enough for me. The Daniel Murray household will never be without Tabson. Yes, Tabson, T-A-B-C-I-N. The new and different antihistamine cold tablet. Tabson is a medically tested combination of antihistaminic, analgetic, and antiparetic ingredients compounded to help you check cold symptoms fast and give more complete relief. Tabson does more to check cold symptoms because it contains an effective antihistamine to check the sneezing and sniffling and relieve that stuffed-up nose. Tabson does more for you because the analgetic relieves the ache all over misery of a cold. Tabson does more because it helps reduce the fever of a cold. Tabson does more because it contains a special ingredient to combat that dull, drowsy feeling. That's what we mean when we say Tabson is an improved compound formula. Tabson offers you more complete relief for your cold. So remember, at the first sign of a cold, take Tabson quick. T-A-B-C-I-N. Tabson for colds in the bright red package at all drugstores. You've just heard Chapter 8, Book 73 of One Man's Family, written and produced under the direction of Carlton E. Morse for T-A-B-C-I-N, Tabson, the new improved antihistaminic compound cold tablet made by Miles Laboratories, makers of Alka-Seltzer. Chapter 9, entitled Concerts and a Brother versus a Marriage, will come to you next week at this same time. And now the family invites you to stay tuned to the Quiz Kids, who follow immediately over most of these stations. Today's Quiz Kids program features four children, winners of local competitions throughout the country. comes to you from California. You're tuned for the stars on NBC. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you soon this week.
And hello, world, it's May 2nd, year 2013, I'm Long Hughes, and hello, John, and hello, Larry. Hello, Walden, John's on the phone, somebody called, I hope it's not a creditor. Well, I hope it's somebody with food or something that meant for John to go away. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it had to have been food, right? <laughs> yep, I think you're right. 714. No, Bill, Bill's not here tonight, he's talked to us a couple of times. And he uh, said today that he felt as good as he's felt in quite a while over the last 17 days. He's been to the doctor a couple of times, but most of that time he's been in bed. He's out of bed today, feeling pretty good. And I think we'll see him back Monday. Oh, uh, so. well, I don't know. You know, I mean, uh, next week if they're a big trip. Do you think maybe that he'll just coast because he's got to leave, was it Friday? They, they're going to leave Thursday. 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 So I'm expecting us to do a few. Well, it all depends on Mike. Yeah. I don't, and I don't know if Mike working or Mike in Mexico or some crazy thing. Yep. If if Mike is available, he'll do the show. If he's not, Bill might just take some days off. Isn't isn't Mike the lead lawyer on the bombing guys? K. Oh no, that's somebody else. Okay, sorry. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Just try to, try to get Mike more work. That, that, Mike, yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah. That's why you brought it up. Sorry, I was away answering a phone call from a Time Warner representative who wanted to see if I'd be interested in an installation of the Time Warner cable and Internet this coming Monday. And I had to tell him I've had this since March. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, well. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Today, quite a few radio anniversaries today. I was hmm? looking at the new uh, digest out there called Rick Place. I haven't looked at that yet. I need to go subscribe to that. And they, I don't even know what it is. It's a brand new. It. It's a brand new uh, digest. Yeah. It's going to be in competition with the OTRD. But this oh, one, okay. this one's going to have. But it's other, not OTR, right? Other it's forms the, of media. And I found out today. Hello there, Carl. You are on with John, Larry, and I. Well, no, no, no. Fin hello, finish Walden. your thought first. Hello, John and Larry. Hello there, Jim. Finish your thought first, Walden. Sure. I found out today that uh, Deanne Durbin passed away. Oh. Oh, I didn't know that. I did not know that until I just saw it on the OTRD. I mean, on the uh, Rick Place. She was 91. Hmm. A legendary, of course, got her start on the Eddie Cannon radio show in the 30s. And okay, famous so. movie actress of the uh, 30s. And we got her some Lux and Screen Guild. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to play one of those. Maybe tomorrow night. Maybe tomorrow night. And then here's some anniversaries. Okay, let's throw out what famous radio show guys start today. Well, let's see. 19 May 2nd. Is Jack Benny You got it, Jack Benny. All right. Benny. Now in baseball. What famous event happened in baseball to, on this date in 1939? Lou Gehrig's last appearance. Correct. It was just the day that Lou Gehrig pulled himself out. Right. And how many games was it he played in? 2,130. And, and Jim, were you there to watch it? And that record was finally broken by, it was in the, Cal Ripken. In the 80s, right? Or 90s? Cal Ripken, 90s. yeah. 90s, Cal it was, Ripken. It was after the strike, so what, right. 95, 96, you'll get the mm -hmm. angel. And I, I, yeah, I remember that. Cal was 2,650-some-odd game. I don't remember the exact number. See, we all grew up knowing Gehrig's record, yeah. but I don't think too many people could quote you how many Ripken played in. You know, no. and, and 
also, if you think about it, 1941 is also the year Lou Gehrig passed away. Right. But think of what a milestone that was in baseball in 1941. Well, yeah. had that record. Yeah, the Maggio mm-hmm. had the 56 game hitting streak, and let's see. Um, uh, didn't didn't Lou up uh, up. Uh, not unusual. It hasn't been Ted done. Williams, yeah, Ted yeah. Williams fit hit 400. Yeah, that was, four, that was the yes. last. Yeah, with 406. And I think that right. may have been the year. Isn't that the year that Mizio started with the Cardinals? I think he started the Cardinals, and I would and 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 Demacio beat uh, Williams out for the MVP that year. Man, don't put us on Sports Jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. A couple of other radio notes yeah. uh, for this day. This was the day in 1960. People in the Chicago area might remember this. WLS, which had been the Prairie Farmer Station for years, became an ABC Top 40 station in 1960. What a letdown that was, huh? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but they did, we, did we have a Top 40 format in L.A. at time? Who, who went to the Top 40? You mean in, in 1960? Well, yeah, in the L.A. market. Well, KRLA and KFWB. Yeah. Were they owned by, what's his name, the guy from Texas? No, no, KFWB was Westinghouse, was it? Yeah, that was Westinghouse. KRLA was, I don't know who owned KRLA at the time. Bonneville, but I don't know if they owned them that oh, far back. Oh, now, what, what was Boss Radio, KHJ? I know that was, that was 59. KHJ. Yeah, what that, was that? That, was a Drake, that was a Drake Chenault station. Right. Uh, but was that Top 44, man? Why did they call it Boss Radio? Well, it, it was, but they didn't really come along until about 65 or 6 or so. Four. Because they were still yeah. playing beautiful music in 1960. Right. They were, so when, when he came out in 59, he was still playing beautiful music. Okay. I thought he was playing rock at that time. Well, Wink was, but not on KHJ. I think he came out for KHJ. Did he? Yeah, it was his first station. Didn't Wink, I know, didn't Wink work on uh, KFWB at one time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought, I've heard an air check of him from, and I know, I know Balance worked on, uh, AFWB at one time. What yes, did K- yes. so did Gary Owens did, and so did Bruce Morgan. What did KRL, KRLA do rock? Did they, did they do that right away with Wolfman yeah, Jack? They were, they were, and, oh, yeah, they were doing it in the 50s, 60s, they, 70s. Did they switch after KFWB did? Yeah, I think they did. But it was a big day, and uh, the reason in 1960 that was so memorable for Chicago was that a lot of, on April 30th, that was the last WLS barn dance. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I know I, it had gone off the network years before, but it was still carried locally on WLS. They still carried the Breakfast Club and other network mm-hmm. features even after they went top 40. Who carried the Breakfast Club out here? Was that KECA? Or was that KBC? Yes. No, it was KBC. Well, KECA earlier, but KBC... When it switched station call letters and yeah. Okay. Okay. And then after the split, I think it was uh, after the ABC split. It was was it KFOX that carried it of the last year when when the Entertainment Network was on. Or the you know, I think you're right. Yeah, because I've heard I an air check right. of that show. Because don't we have an ID that says KFOX? I think so. Wasn't that yeah. the, that was the Long Beach station, right? Right. right. Is that the one that's now family? Yeah, that's the family yes. radio. Yeah. I remember that station. Uh, Squeakin' Deacon was on that station. Because mm-hmm. my dad used to listen to it all the time. And we used to make fun of it, you know? <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah. 
What was yeah. what was Squeak and Beat? I was going to mention. I I I don't know if Walden got a chance to tell you, but I thought of one more program for our. It's on. For the theme did we you talk. read your email today? No, you haven't seen your email yet, have you, Jim? Oh yeah, it's it's in this Sunday's programming. Um, and the, oh my the, gosh, I heard. You're three to five down. made it. You you let me put it in this week programming, Jim. Okay. Josh, Boy, I, I can't the one believe Bell. Oh my gosh, is he good? Especially at the beginning of that show. Theater Five. Yep. Yep. Now listen, listen to the Tiger. Tiger. Yep. Let me put it in. People don't know what I, what we're talking about. That's uh, about uh, animals. Shows with animals. I thought I thought of a theme of that is uh, animals that talk on the radio. Mm-hmm. And you and, and and I decided that you can't it can't be Lassie. It can't be any kind of a dog that goes. <laughs> it has dog, the animal has to make some sort of a intelligible human type of speech. So Brad Barker would not make the Larry Gaffman cut. No, not unless the dog said, "Hi, how are you? Good to see you. Would you like to? Well, would you well, like to about, Sure. Silverware's in I, there. The thing all I'll tell you is the thing about the tiger that's so ear. Well, it's Ralph Bell's performance. Yeah, it's awesome. Yes, and Fred Foy's narration too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So right, if I looked at the rundown, look, I've already stuck four shows in the hour. Four is it four? See, if Silver had told the Lone Ranger, "Get the hell off me," we could have used it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that would have been that would have been a very. I always remember the joke in the old TR Digest one time. One person was just talking about the Lone Ranger, and he said, "In one app, he was just talking about how in one episode." The Lone Ranger met or dealt with Kit Carson, and in another episode he dealt with Al Jennings. And he remarked, "But we know the Ranger was durable, but man, just how durable Silver must have, how the, how durable the horse <laughs> Silver must have been." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me see. What are we doing? It's not, but it's not this weekend here on Yesterday USA. It's the weekend after that you'll hear it. But it's um, Columbia Workshop, the Pussycat. And the plumber, and then that's about a cat. And then chain of command is about mice from X minus one. Oh, uh, Mickey Mouse Theater, Snow White, because animals talk in Snow White. And then Theater Five, Listen to the Tiger. And I think we're going to be able to get into week two and maybe week three. We'll see. No, no, I know. In two weeks, you're doing the. They're covering the. Uh, the. Uh the meeting in May, but so will that affect the uh, Yesterday USA program? Well, we're still working on it. We, uh, our gentlemen who have his normal laptop there, we're still scrambling to see if we're going to broad Skype it. Uh, so we're still waiting to find out if if we do broadcast it, we might be on the uh, on the 16K fee. I'm still waiting to hear back. Uh, I'm in about John and Larry's show that Saturday correct. if it's preempted. Uh, will that be on another day that week on yesterday? Well, no. If it's on, if, if the meeting is on the 16K feed, then then there won't be an interruption. Okay. Yeah. If, it just depends on how underscore Bill puts it together, and can I pull all the strings together to get it done? Two notable historic historical deaths on this day of May 2nd. I thought of two. Mm-hmm. 1957, the infamous Senator Joseph McCarthy. Did he really die, <laughs> Mr. Chairman? Is it Salmon? I love Stan Freeberg's parody. Oh, <laughs> yes. Freeberg's is so good. Should we play especially that? Especially the line. Especially the line, I refuse to sing on the grounds. It is an inexcusable rhyme. 
Uh, John, find it. I'm trying to remember. Is it the whole? It's a segment, right? Point of yes. order. It's the record point of order. Point of order. Point of order. I'll have to go find it here. <laughs> I, yeah, I know where it is, but you, I got two things already I would queued up. You find it. <laughs> oh, you, well, you got 90 minutes, boy. Hurry up. <laughs> and the other one, May 2nd, 1972, was J. Edgar Hoover. Oh. Oh, yeah. Of the FBI, of course. And we have now, some of his radio appearances. Right. And one thing I want to ask you about that while we're thinking of Hoover and the FBI, and I've discussed this with Walden and other collectors, among my poll of collectors, rating the two networks, and I'm not counting I was a communist, but the two networks, FBI shows, did you both prefer either This Is Your FBI, the officially sanctioned show, or the FBI in Peace and War? Uh, I, I voted for the FBI in Peace and War. No, I'm sorry. I voted for This Is Your FBI. Oh, This Is Your FBI, okay. Yes, yeah. I thought it had more to it, frankly. Mm -hmm. Well, I thought, you, you, I thought have, the other show was a good show, but I thought it was more formulized. Right. It's interesting that the, this is your that the FBI in peace and war is among OTR not so much collectors, but people who remember radio shows mm -hmm. for listening to them. Peace and war is more remembered. Is it because of the March of the Three Oranges? Probably. So. That was a See, memorable I, theme. I think that if they wanted to put that show on TV, they could have a graphic of three oranges marching. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. To me, this is your FBI. seems so stuffed shirt. You know what I mean? It was so, so form, so formatted in a way that you knew this was the approved program of the FBI. Right. And yeah. it, it, it had that timbre about the show. Well, the other thing was, you know, that, that uh, the, narr the narration and Bill Woodson and the people that preceded him gave it such a powerful narration Yes. Uh, on the show. By the way, one of my friends who was a collector, we got to talking about it, and I, I, I forgot what he meant for a second when he was talking to me one time, but he said, by the way, I want to thank you for your service to our country. And I said, huh? <laughs> and then he said, your name? And then he mentioned, my, and I said, oh, yeah, right, special agent. Jim well, Taylor. Thought, yeah, gosh, yeah. Jim, you scared me. I, I thought you were an air traffic controller. <laughs> no, I thought he was handling, I thought he was in the front line defending the country. With yeah, shooting service well, that would country. be. Can you that imagine what kind of insurance? I will say this. I have a friend, a, a friend, a lady I know who lives back east now, and we got to talking one time, and she said, you know, the way things are in L.A., conditions on the roads and like, she says, I think I would trust she would trust me driving than the people who really can drive. Mm -hmm. She mm -hmm. actually had more confidence in me driving. Now, I don't think the city officials would, would take that view. No. No, probably not. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure if Walden and you and I all drove, that would make news. Well, I'm pretty sure if we put bumpers bumpers around the car, if we can make it. Well, see, when I drove, yes, um, I was driving and a friend was sitting in the seat with me. Right. church and she was telling me what to do she says i have more trust in you than i do my kids when i first taught them to drive <laughs> and i said that's because i have you have to trust me and i have to pay attention to what you're saying because mm -hmm. i have no choice right. you know your kids could look around and do whatever they wanted to do because they had a lesion of of, of uh error i didn't mm -hmm. so she said yeah you're right 
You're right. Are, you guys ever go? You ever, have any of you guys ever gone skiing? Oh, downhill skiing. skiing? Yeah. Cause that's you know, oh. I, that's where I think when I used to, that's when you gotta pay attention. You know, you oh, gotta, yeah. you really gotta know your left and right, so you gotta. Yep. You gotta. I've water skied. I never I've did. Skied, I have balance problems in addition, and I always, I, and even with roller skating in classes. I always had to hold on to a wall or something because I, I just tended to fall whenever I would roller skate. Mm -hmm. Yep. But I guess where my point was, you, you got to put the face in the person giving you directions. Cause you, yes, you, you do. You're definitely, you're definitely out there vulnerable going. So my uncle let me steer the car once when we were driving, just mm -hmm. just turn turn the wheel. And I did, and, and about once, I did steer about once. Mm. Uh, I, actually, was, I actually drove down the street and then turned at a cul-de-sac and then drove up to somebody's drive, drove up somebody's driveway. But I couldn't have done it obviously without a sighted person actually telling me exactly what to do. And I had to follow it directly. I've got photos of it too. Uh -huh. You know, you have to, you got to trust people. Yeah. Well, you, you, and yeah, and you, and you, and of course the timing, I imagine I have to admire people who, re who really drive on a regular basis. Cause when you think about the light, and the turns, and they have to be just exact. I mean, the timing of red lights and green lights. Mm -hmm. I imagine that is a real challenge to get the yeah. timing just right to stop the car just in time. Well, most people, the biggest thing is it's getting on and off the off ramp, especially right. the freeway. That's that's especially people who come from small country, small town. That that's almost a culture shock coming to California. For some, it takes about a year to get used sure. to that. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, it takes, it takes a, uh, I'm trying to think of any other May 2nd uh, things. Let's see. I'm trying to think while it's on my mind. And, well, it's the anniversary of Bing Crosby's birth. Oh, that's, well, didn't, didn't, yeah, that's right. It is today. Yeah, May, May 2nd, 1904. Right. Uh, let's see. 19. Oh, and by the way, we were talking uh, last week or so. Uh, so Larry, Larry, thanks to Jerry, have found more Penny Singleton shows out there. Oh, yeah, we well, have eight of them now. Series? Yeah. Well, I, be, I know one of your callers was very interested in that last week. Correct. Yeah, I, I, I just got them. So I have eight, eight of them from the 1950-51 season. Nightbeat and Dimension X and Tales of the Texas Rangers, Penny Singleton, and I think Dangerous Assignment. It was one, oh, Sarah's Private Caper. Yeah, there aren't very many of those around either. Is that the one with Sarah Boner? Yeah, yes. no, 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 has, has only one of those turned up, I think, the first one? I believe, and I have it, but in, in such bad sound, I wouldn't play it. Yeah. I know, that there are more, I know that there are more that exist. Right. Uh, I don't remember how many, but there were a bunch of them that were donated to UCLA. Mm. Uh, as to whether or not they're actually in circulation now, I don't know. I'd have to find out. Have you ever found, there's a show that my mother listened to in the on weekdays in the 50s when I was a toddler on CBS. I asked about it in the digest years ago, and none have ever turned up. That was like years ago. It was after Arthur Godfrey. It was before the first soap opera, Rosemary. And it ran in like from like fifty three to fifty six, and it was called "Make Up Your Mind." Jackson. I have never seen it. 
you've heard rap promo promos for it, I guess. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, but I've never seen it. So I don't know what the premise of the show was. I remember my mother listening to it. Yeah. But I've, it's one of those shows that has just eluded me as far as hearing what it sounded like. Was Whispering Street five days a week or once a week in that in that time frame? I think it was five days a week. Okay. Well, I don't, I don't know when the Betty Davis did it, if it was a weekly show. Well, yeah. When yeah. ABC did it and then later CBS, it was five days a week. Okay. And uh, what I was unique about that show, at least when it was on CBS, it didn't have an organ. It used an orchestra. Wow. Yeah, with Kathy Lewis. Kind of unique for yeah. soap operas in those days. Well, anyway, I just thought I'd bring those things up and uh, Glad you did. find point of order that would be kind of fun to hear tonight. Okay. If, if John can find it, we'll I'm, play it. I'm not finding it right now, <clears throat> I'm not, unless Is it's somewhere else. Is that point of order? Huh? I guess. But I haven't found it so far. I thought it was in the Collector Series. Maybe it's not, but it's in no, his... I didn't see it in there. It may be on the tip of the Freeburg. The tip of the Freeburg, if you have that. Oh, one. that's... Yeah, it could be. That's it. Could be. Yeah, it's after... It's after... Uh, it, I think it may be after... The, on the tip of the Freeburg, if I remember right, it's after the three Dragnet parodies. And, of course, if that's what Jim remembers, it's probably true. <laughs> I, I've so had that... people ask me... How come I can remember this or that and can't remember things from a week ago? And I said, I can't explain it to you. I can't, I can't explain it. Wow. But but anyway, wow. keep up the good work. Thank you, Jim. We're gonna and, we're gonna play this interview with Spike Jones Jr. Okay. And John will look for point of order, and so hopefully we'll get it on before we end tonight. Right. Well, now, now, wasn't this the week that Spike passed away in '65 May? May something, May first, May second. Yeah, God, I don't know. That, that, I guess it, we could look on your Wikipedia page and probably yeah, we should look. confirm that. Been, we're not playing this by design. We're just playing it because we just did it. It's in our archives. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. I found Tip of the Freeburg, but none of the tracks are titled. I'm gonna have to go through each one of them. I know, but I think the Dragon that stuff are pretty close to the front. It's like which, a which CD? One or two? Disc two. Disc two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what track do you think, Jim? Four or five? Uh, disc two starts at St. George, then Little Blue Riding Hood, then Christmas Dragnet, and then uh, Point of Order, I think. <laughs> All right, John, let's try track four. John, just count down. <laughs> Go one, two, three, four, and push enter. Let's see what comes out. I think so. You want me to take off the tower from the Empire State Building of right. 300 no, no, foot <laughs> Okay. There? Yeah. That started disc two of, of Tip of the Freeburg, so. Okay. Oh, well, we can get... We can get somebody play, mislabeled the disc. We can, okay. We can get played oh, track after true. track. we got to get this by Jones, otherwise we're not going to get okay, any we'll of this stuff. we'll talk to you all later, then. Bye, Jim. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Well, let's do Spike Jones first. Sounds good. We've got a Crosby show to get to, and if we run over, we run over. And, you know, Bill won't invite us back again. <laughs> And we got Patricia at 9 o'clock to take care of anyway, but we'll yeah. try to get off by 9. Yeah, we're recording Patricia for upcoming Friday, shows. Friday night That's shows, what yeah. Referring to. Okay, so if you're ready, we're gonna you're going to talk to Spike Jones. That's right. You were busy. It lasts about 30 minutes or so. Right. Okay, so here we go. Okay, let me get 
put a timestamp on here. It's one minute after 12. And Spike and I will be talking about Found his career and a little bit about his dad. Here we go on five. Five, four, three, two, one. Hi, everybody. I'm Wong Hughes, and on the line, have been in entertainment for a long time and has a really good family history in show business. Spike Young Jr., welcome to Yesterday USA. How you doing, Weldon? Good. Watch. For the Television Academy, the nominations, if anybody sees the um, watches, any of the morning shows, the nominations, I believe the date is July 18th. Okay. Um you know, when when the Morning America or Today Show throws to uh, North Hollywood, California, for the Emmy nominations announcements, um, uh, that four minutes of television is probably the most important four minutes that the Television Academy ever does annually. Right. Um, I'll be producing that. And um, the Creative Art Show, which will be on the night prior to the primetime Emmys, and that's going to be on an, a brand new network that um, is an offshoot of FX. Okay. It will be called FXX. Okay. Um, and uh, who knows, anything else I can slip in between now and then. And I think, Spike, you do have a website, so if people want to go and uh, keep track, that's probably the best way to do it. Yeah, and my, my website for anybody that's interested is um, com. There you go. Well, Spike, I really want to appreciate your time today. My pleasure. I had a good time. I did, too, and I hope we can do it again sometime. Well, then, thank you very much, and uh, say hello to, uh, to everybody down there I, in the OC. I will. You have a wonderful afternoon, Spike. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was my interview with Spike Jones Jr. And I remember his sister was at the uh, Spurback convention. The Yu-Gi-Oh guy had the Spike Jones panel, I think, in '87. Oh, that's right. Now, when was that interview done? About a month ago. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Joe Syracuse was on that. Eddie Brandt. I think Joe. I think if I've been tracking down, I think Joe's still around. Is he? I, yeah. Uh, everything I've been able, because I found some recent interview article with him being quoted for interviews. Okay. In the last two years, I know Eddie Brand had passed away. Yeah. Right. And Linda Jones, that number is still good, because I hear her voice message this is Linda, so I'm assuming the number we okay. got for it is still good. Okay. That's Even though good. she didn't. Should, she didn't answer you. Yeah, she didn't return my call. But hey. Okay. You know, but I would confirm that that's still good. Okay, okay. so we've got time. Because the Bing Crosby show is a half hour, and the uh, point of order is about three minutes. Let's go to the point of order. So just a second while I get that set up, and then uh, we'll go from there. Okay. Uh, let's see. Oh, I just have to turn my sound card up, and then we'll be okay. So this runs about 3.36. I don't remember the date, but Jim does, I'm sure. By no, the way, Spike Jones died May 1st of 65, so Jim was right on. <laughs> I, I looked it up in Wikipedia, and assuming the Wikipedia is correct, uh, that information is in both of your drop boxes in case you want to look at it. Perfect. So while this he, was, while, quickly, while this was going on, I so found yeah. a seam had been messed up in my rug that they just, you know, we just cleaned and, yeah. and stretched. There's a seam 
It's not because my chair kept bumping against it, and yeah. it's a pretty big little stretch. Uh-oh. And so I called my brother to tell him about it, and then he's got an iPhone. I've got an iPhone. I've never done this before. Yeah. But we, we utilized FaceTime, and then he had which, to show me how the does camera what, worked. The ca- FaceTime you, you is take like a-, a video picture. Uh, and he was actually, I was actually taking my camera and point it at the scene so he could see it at his house. <laughs> Pretty cool stuff. Well, you should show the management next door via your uh, FaceTime. Oh, I'll bring them in tomorrow morning. <laughs> I'll have them walk in. They'll see it. It, it just takes a little glue to fix. Ah. But it was cool to show him technologically, and he could see it from his house. As Brian Hager was saying last night and two in the morning, thank goodness for the Gassman being so technically savvy. He's, he's driven the, he drove the rep board into modern technology. So, And we're going further, boys and girls. <laughs> we ain't yeah, done we yet. That's right. Point of order, board. Point of order. <laughs> okay. Are you, are you ready? Here's Freeburg for my chip ahead, of Freeburg. Joe. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, we take you now to the committee room where Baba Black Sheep is being investigated at the subcommittee shearings. He is accused of receiving a special shearing instead of being clipped with the rest of the flock. The next voice you will hear is that of the council. And now, Mr. Sheep, will you or not tell the committee your full name? Baba Black Sheep! Now, Mr. Black Sheep, I see here, point of order. I understand that you order, have been Mr. accused. Chairman, have a point of order. Excuse me, do you have a point of order, Senator? Yes, how long? How long? Give me the pitch, boy. There's the note right there. How long must this needless browbeating... But I have... Let me finish. But I have only asked him his name so far. Let me finish. I object to your inhuman treatment. But don't you see, Senator? He is inhuman. He is a sheep. Oh, drop it. I will ask you now. Baba Black Sheep, have you any wool? I did have, but I've been sheared and I'm cold. Do you realize that you have not answered my last question? Could I have the last question read? Uh, he said red. Did you hear him? Let the record Do you or show. not possess a quantity of a fibrous substance which grows on or about your back and from which, as well as being used in the manufacture of garments, a byproduct known as lanolin is made for the hirsute adornment of the human race? Now I think you can give me a simple yes or no answer on this. Yes or no? Point of order. Would you tell the subcommittee how many bags full? Point of order. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Three bags full. Point of order. Now, let's see. Point of order. Let's see. Point of order. Let's see. Point of order. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Oh, I am in good voice today. Objection, Mr. Chairman. Like the last statement stricken from this record, he is in a lousy voice. Well, be that as it may. Point of order, let me speak. Point of order, point of order, let me finish. Point of order, point of order, point of order. Much longer must this circus continue. I think we're entitled to, or drop it. Now, Mr. Sheep. How did you dispose of these three bags of wool? One for my dame, and one for the little boy who lives down the lane. Point of order, Mr. Chairman. I think anyone who would rhyme dame and lane is a bad risk. What are you, with me or against me? Mr. Sheep, in this photograph of you, dame, and the little boy down the lane, has anybody been cut out? My master. He's been cropped. And what did he do with his bag of wool? He had it made into long red underwear. Now we're getting somewhere. Isn't it a fact you said under oath he had it made into red uh, underwear? Is that true? Have I denied it? 
Were you ever, or are you now, a pink? I am now? I ain't got no wool on. I'm freezing. Senator, before the sheep catches his death... I hold in my hand a list of 26 known black sheep in this flock. Let's join our voices in the Baba song. But From I... the top, boys. Baba, black sheep, have you any wool? Yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. One for my master, one for my dame, and one for the little boy who lives down the lane. I hold in my hand a list of 57 varieties, I mean black sheep, in this flock. And there's Freeburg and Point of Order from Tip of the Freeburg. I think that's still available in some CD-type stores. I think uh, Stan will have a few epic reps, too. And that is going to be, point of order, uh, June 21st, June 22nd, June 23rd, at the Bellevue Coast Hotel in Bellevue, Washington. It's Showcase 21, and one of our special guests will be Stan and Hunter Freeberg. And maybe he'll show up at Spurvac. You never know. Well, we haven't talked about that yet, but, no, we but we're all we're, we're I gotta call him back because be we're organizing a list invited. of stuff he's gonna play. He'll be invited, that's for sure. Whether we'll yep. Yep. have him there, I don't know. We don't know. So who is anyway, some of the so, other voice with that Dodge Butler? Anybody else in that yes. Yes? No, just Dawes and Stan. Okay. And, and a lot of overdubbing. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Brilliant stuff. Yeah. So speak, speaking of somebody who made use of tape, we got Bing Crosby. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. With his um, minute made orange juice. You know, I didn't. I looked up the date, but I um, don't remember it, so I'll have to look it up when we get done. But this is from the General Electric show, I believe, uh, fall of 1952. But I'll have to look up the specifics when we get done, because I want to get it done before we have to go off the air. So, if you're ready, here's the GE show with Bing Crosby and Joe Venuti and uh, Rosemary Clooney. It's the Bing Crosby show. Uh, did Larry forget to turn Transcribe, it up? Right, Yeah. When the blue of the night meets the gold of the day, someone waits for me. Welcome you to the Bing Crosby Show, brought to you by General Electric Company, makers of famous, dependable kitchen and home laundry appliances. Produced and transcribed in Hollywood with John Scott Trotter and his orchestra, Judd Collins with the mayors and Bing's guests, Miss Rosemary Clooney and Mr. Joe Venuti. And now, here's Mr. Bing Crosby. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Ken Carpenter. Hey, we're pretty formal this evening, aren't we? Well, we certainly got a lot of show here tonight, too. Realizing which, I have to move right into a blithe opener. A little thing uh, sort of smacks of the high country, this number. It's called Open Up Your Heart. And we're away. Open up your heart and let me in. Open up your heart and let me Place the appliances for that natural-born efficiency in those glossy good looks. The cost for this service? None. 
And uh, say, if you're buying or building a house, you might as well be real fancy and have a General Electric all-electric kitchen. In many cases, you can include the cost right in your long-term mortgage. Your General Electric dealer's the hombre to throw and tie for the details. Why don't you gallop on down to his corral pronto, hmm? Folks, here's the ballad from Paramount's Technicolor picture, The Road to Bally. Quite a nice thing, too. It composed by Burke and Van Heusen. I think you like it. Buddy Cole's adroit touch will be detected by the musically discerning at the piano. Before you can say I like you, you gotta know people a while. Watch their little tricks, listen to their talk, see the way they walk and how they smile. That's a rule that's tried and true, a rule that you're the one exception to. To see you is to love you, and I see you everywhere in the sunrise, in the moon glow. Any place I look, you're there. To see you is to want you. And I see you all the time On a sidewalk, in a doorway On the lonely stairs I climb Someday let me show you How happy endings start You'll find how well I know you Cause to know you at all Is to know you by heart To see you is to love you And you're never out of sight And I love you and I'll see you in the same old dream tonight. Someday, let me show you how happy and You'll find how well I know you Cause to know you at all Is to know you by heart To see you is to love you And you're never out of sight And I love you And I'll see you In the same old dream tonight 
Thank you very much. How my thanks to Rosemary Clooney, the compadre di tango, and to Joe Venuti also for joining up with us this evening. Hope to see you the same time, the same place next week when our guests will be Miss Ella Fitzgerald and again, Mr. Venuti. Folks, this week, local chapters of the United States Junior Chamber of Commerce will begin the J.C. Christmas Shopping Tour, the tour for orphans and underprivileged children. You can help a lot of swell kids have a brighter Christmas if you'll participate in the J.C. Christmas Shopping Tour in your community. In the meantime, remember General Electric dependability. You can't see it, but it's there in every single GE appliance you buy. You can put your confidence in General Electric. Thank you and good night. The Bing Crosby Show, presented by General Electric, was produced and transcribed in Hollywood by Bill Morrow and Myrtle McKenzie. Tune in next week and hear Bing and his guests, Miss Ella Fitzgerald and Mr. Joe Venuti. The Bing Crosby Show with Joe Benuti and, and Ken Carpenter and uh, and Rosemary Clooney, and I'm uh, turning Jaws on now, and I am going to let's see if I can do this. Get a date? Eh. Oh, hang on. We'll find it. And today would have been oh, Bing's no. birthday. Oh, is that right? Held. 109. Wow. Yep. Boy, could he interpret a song. Yep. Great, great singer. Oh, yeah. Well, once Larry and I are ready to go, we're going to turn it back to the automation system. December December 11, 1952. I knew it had to be in December, but I couldn't remember exactly when. So we're going to be, at least I'll be here tomorrow with Frank Brzee. I'm going to celebrate Norman Corwin's birthday. I would guess that we'll probably be there close to 10. Okay. Nine, between 9.30 and 10 hour time. It won't be a long rehearsal, but it will be. And we'll feature an interview with Jack Morgan. I think that's what Larry has planned. Yeah, it's, it's in your folder already. Okay. And then uh, Sunday we'll have to come up with an interview with our archives. I don't know. Maybe we do uh, Matthew Nelson, one of Ricky's. Yeah, stuff. that was a good one. Yeah, okay. That would fit, so maybe we should plan for that for Sunday. Okay, that's fine. That's good. Okay. You well, guys that's want to it, say good night? Good well, night. That's good. Yeah, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow night. Good night, everybody. Good night. Okay, guys, let me call you right back. Jaws for Windows is ready. Welcome to Skype. Selected Bill Brad, Kansas, Larry Gat, Michael, Larry Gassman online. Michael B. online, Kansas, John Gassman online. Go Lakers, 11 of one application. Send I send SF, send con, send file, oh, send voice go. message, share screen, yep. invite the group call. Enter. Okay. Yeah, on John Gassman on the loading jaw. Cancel. Okay. So, What's that? We have his friend of, uh, on the line, and we post him up here. I thought it would be fun for us to talk to him off air. And hello, Neil Ellis. Hey, guys. Hey, Neil, how are you? 
Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you all doing? Don't you don't you get enough radio? Do you have to, you know, call another show at mid God, what is it? Midnight there? Oh, we'll stop you if we begin to hear that stupid sound, but let's give it a shot and see what happens. All right. Stupid sound coming up. Hi everybody. Welcome to the weekly show that brings you radio at its worst. There are shows that are so bad they're fun to listen to. I'm Patricia, person with the collection all some really awful shows. This week I picked a show from Lighthouse. Here are the in the back. Lighthouse was an extraordinarily popular horror show created by the Cooper, who also produced the show for the first few years, January 1934 to sometime in April 1936. Arch Obler, who was a master at... It's doing it again. Call her. I was thinking the very same what, thing. Why don't we do that? Why don't we? Okay, look, Patricia, we're gonna call you back. What? Oh, no, no, I can. I think you can call her. Since you initiated, you can call her right now on Skype. Well, but she is on Skype because that's how I got. Oh, wait a minute. You're right. It's not. I, you're right. Okay. Wait, uh, Patricia. Patricia, hang up. I don't need to hang up. You can no, call her. Yeah, I can Skype. call. Her. Okay. Yeah. We're gonna, Patricia, we're gonna try something different. Okay. You hang in there. I'll call you right. I'll Skype you in. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if you have levels that are too high. I don't know. Jaws for Windows is ready. Welcome Maybe not. Maybe it's Sid Hino. Well, Bill Drop. Plus 151. Bill Drop. Cynthia. Yeah. Dennis Hart. Yeah. Frank Bressy. Jeff Sill. Jim Taylor. It might be the board. Carolyn Drop. Carolyn Drop. Patricia Hewitt, phone number, 20 applications, send SM, invite the group call, enter, leaving menus, Patricia Hewitt, unloading jaw, cancel, okay. Hi, this is Patricia, please leave a message and uh -oh. I will get back to you as soon as I can. At the tone, please record. Jaws for Windows is ready, welcome to Scott. Selected Larry Gass, Carolyn Grimes Home, F Carolyn, KAC, Jim Taylor, Jeff Silver, Frank Bressy, Dennis Hart, Cynthia, Bill Grimes. Plus one, Nolan Kent, Michael B, Larry Gassman on, Michael B, Nolan Kent, plus one, Bill Dry, Cynthia, Dennis Hart, Frank Bressy, Jeff Silver, okay. Jim Taylor, K.A.C., Carolyn, Carolyn, Patricia Hewitt, machine? phone number, Patricia Hotel, phone number, 25 of one, Patricia Hewitt, phone number, plus one, two, application, send SM, invite the group, call, enter, leaving menus, Patricia Hewitt, unloading jaws, quit, can't, okay, Try again. Okay, no machine, huh? No machine. <laughs> are are hey, we your, okay? Your machine picked up last time. My machine did? Yep. The phone never rang. Yes, it did. Well, I'm well, sitting call, right here. I'm call, sitting uh, here with it in my little paw. The call went through and we heard your machine pick well, up. It didn't, it didn't go through me. Isn't that huh? interesting? Went directly to the machine. How about that? Well, it's not actually a machine. It's voicemail with the phone company, but it's so it's like message center. Yeah, yeah, but it didn't go through me. How huh. about that? Never I knew don't... you were there. Weird. Weird, and it's not well, my fault. Well, let's see what happens this time. Hopefully, I don't think that thing will come back. I think we'll be okay. Okay, is Walden there? I'm here. You're way down. I barely hear you, Walden. Oh, uh, I tune out because Patricia has very delicate ears. There, yeah, Patricia, there, there, you can turn you down a little okay, bit. Okay, testing one, two, three, four. Testing one, two, three, four. Testing one, two, three, four. Should I keep going down? Sure. 
One, two, three, four. One. Oh, good deal. Okay. Perfect. Okay. okay. I'm ready. Are we ready? Yep. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the weekly show that brings you radio at its worst. These are shows that are so bad, they're fun to listen to. I'm Patricia, the person with the collection. I call some really awful shows. This week I picked an episode from Lights Out, and I can hear the gasps in the background. Lights Out was an extraordinarily popular horror show created by Willis Cooper, who also wrote and produced the show for the first two years. This was January 1934 to sometime around April 1936. Arch Obler, who was a master at terrorizing audiences, assumed Willis's roles in 1936 and the show then ran until August 1947, so it had a really good run. In May of 1936, however, Obler's first Lights Out play was broadcast. The title was Burial Services, and it was about a young girl who was buried alive. It was so horrific that NBC received more than 50,000 letters and Obler never again wrote an episode that he referred to as so powerfully personal. In his words, and this is a quote, the reality of the moment to thousands of listeners who had buried someone close was the horrifying thought that perhaps sister or brother or mother had also been buried alive. And then we have Meteor Man. The December 22, 1942 episode that is about as scary as a cupcake. It doesn't qualify as science fiction. It can't be categorized as fantasy. And it concludes with comments from Obler, which I thought was really great. I only found one copy of this that had his comments. And in those comments, he suggests that all of this might happen in man's distant future. The script the dialogue, and the acting are also not the best of broadcasting. But you have to be the judge. So for your consideration, I offer the Lights Out episode, Meteor Man, from December 22, 1942. We're back. That was Meteor Man, the December 22, 1942 episode from Lights Out. Now, science fiction is different from fantasy, although people tend to roll them together. Fantasy is a story that's woven around the impossible, kind of like Little Red Riding Hood's grandmother being freed after she was swallowed by the wolf. Science fiction, however, is set in the future, and as writer Robert Heinlein described, this is in quotate, quotations, realistic speculation about possible future events, but they're based solidly on adequate knowledge of the real world, both past and present. So it's something that hasn't happened, but very realistically might. So, dear Lights Out fans and non-fans too, let me know if Meteor Man is as awful as I think it is. Drop an email to me at floridawriter at hotmail.com or spend some time with Walden and me on Saturday nights at 10.30 Eastern. We're live, we love phone calls, and we're right here on Yesterday USA. Okay, that's good. Walden, I think we're going to have to do this from now on. I think it sounds really good. Yeah, it's much better. I don't know what you did, but do it again. We called you through Skype rather than calling you on the phone. 
Uh, and we got rid of a hissing sound. Yeah, it's gone. Ah, see, the high, the high is gone too, but it's it's not bad, but it's not as yeah. it's not as crisp as it you ordinarily would be. But that's okay. I'll take that. You can have it, right? This is it works good, right? I think once we get the new board in, we can try it the other way too. We'll yeah, find out. Well, yeah, but it's, until then, we don't need to do that. Right. In fact, we probably won't need to do this again until the board comes in. Correct. Okay. Most of these shows, Larry, that I'm going to be sending you have extra room in them because the ads have been chopped out, and mm -hmm. we've got organ music for the local stuff. Mm -hmm. So you've got a lot of fudge room on these that you don't normally have on some that I okay. send out to you. Okay. Okay. Next one. Ready. Hi, everybody. Welcome to what is surely one of the more unusual shows you will find. You won't hear anything great on this show, and maybe not even good. I'm Patricia, the person with the collection titled Some Really Awful Shows, ones I think are so bad that they are fun. This week I picked an episode from Danger Dr. Danfield. This was a short-lived show that lasted about eight months from August 1946 through April of 47. It had a short run for a reason. It's in my awful show folder. Dr. Daniel Danfield, isn't that a clever name? Is described as an authority on crime psychology. His function is solving crimes that the police can't and he knows they can't without him. He is also arrogant and rude, demeans Rusty Fairfax, his, and this is in quotation marks as a, as a, as a description, his pretty red-haired secretary, close quote. He frequently interrupts her and tells her to be quiet. He tells the police what to do and would likely have been labeled a chauvinist in the 1960s. Now that's my opinion. On the flip side, John Dunning, one of old-time radio's most respected authorities, has some thoughts about the secretary, and these thoughts appear in his first book, Tune In Yesterday, The Ultimate Encyclopedia of Old-Time Radio. He wrote, what made Rusty especially obnoxious was her penchant for telling everybody off and sticking her foot squarely into her mouth. Rusty was allegedly beautiful, and in 1946, maybe that was enough qualification to get a steno job. Whoa-ho, <laughs> that was John Dunning's opinion. In general, Dr. Danfield did not have a lot of danger, did not have much in the way of plots, and even less in the dialogue department. That's more of my opinion. Now it's time for yours. Here is The Murder of Cora Rogers, the September 1st, 1946 episode of Danger, Dr. Danfield. We are back. That was The Murder of Cora Rogers, the September 1st, 1946 episode of Danger, Dr. Danfield. This episode, as with many old-time radio shows, is missing the advertising and whatever else was broadcast during the We'll Be Right Back breaks. They were mirrors of the culture and the time, so it's sad that we can't hear them in a lot of these shows, but it's still a gift that we have the shows at all. Danger Dr. Danfield does not have at least one fan, or does have at least one fan, it's our own Frank Brzee, who is always Walden Hughes' top-of-the-show guest on Friday nights. Frank was one of the actors who played Little Beaver on the juvenile western Red Rider. So, 
John Dunning thinks Dr. Danger was a thud. I think it was a dud, and Frank Brzee thinks it is a winner. What do you think? Drop an email to me at floridawriter at hotmail.com or kick back with Walden Hughes and me on Saturday nights at 1030 Eastern. We're live, we love phone calls, and we love saying hi to new callers. I'll be back next week with an awful show right here on Yesterday USA. Thanks for listening. Okay, good. That's a good one? Okay. So I, I, I never paid attention as to why. I just didn't like it. <laughs> I never you know I never realized that I just said this show sucks. What what didn't you like? I think you played one of them though. Item. Yeah, we play, we, I think we've got most of them. Yeah. But they're just, they suck. They're just horrible shows. So I never, I can't tell you why I didn't like them. I just never listened to them after that. I, well, it, it's a lousy show. That's how come. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next one is The Hunting Hour. How is that for a lousy show? <laughs> yeah, I just, I just played that. I just played that on another thing tonight for, for people. And it's not, for me. not, oh, it's, it's almost as bad as the other show I played, which was, Hearthstone of the Death Squad. Oh, I don't know that one. Ugh. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, upsets. Yeah, you have to help me with that one. Okay. We're ready for the haunting hour, right? Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Hi, everybody. I'm Patricia, the Yesterday USA Weekly hostess with a collection of really awful shows that I've titled Some Really Awful Shows. That's how clever I am. Each week, I share one or two of them to make your ears smile and maybe shake your head, wondering how or why they even made it to the microphone. This week, I picked a show, or it's an episode, titled A Corpse There Was. It's a 1945 episode of The Haunting Hour. There's very little information about The Haunting Hour other than it ran probably from 1944 to 1946. According to one source, the show was transcribed, meaning it was recorded, not live, and it was syndicated to local radio stations. The Haunting Hour had lots of ta-da! organ chords to punctuate the murder and chills that were promised at the very uncompelling opening. But no matter how many times the organ wailed, it couldn't add drama to the fluttery voices of whimpering actresses and over-emoting men. There were no acting credits, which is probably a very good thing. No writers were identified, which is also probably a very good thing. According to radio historian John Dunning, The mystery crime chiller program used and abused most of the cliché plots of the time and even borrowed a few to mash and rehash from some of radio's more successful spooky shows like Inner Sanctum. The Haunting Hour really was an awful show when compared to some of Gradio's giants like Lights Out and Quiet Please. Still, I have to give it, if I were 11 years old and hunkered down in bed in a dark room, this might stir some shivers. But as always, you have to be the judge. Here's A Corpse There Was, a 1945 episode of The Haunting Hour. And that, dear listeners, was A Corpse There Was, from 1945, The Haunting Hour. 
It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but then if it did, it might not have qualified for the awful show status. Drop an email to me at floridawriter at hotmail.com and let me know what you think. And if you've come across an awful show that you think should be in the collection, please let me know about it and I'll go hunt it down. Join Walden Hughes and me live on Saturday nights at 10.30 Eastern. Give us a call and let me know what you think and find out how you can earn a copy of my awful show collection. We're live, we love phone calls, and we love saying hi to new callers. That's it for this week. I'm Patricia. I'll be back next week with another awful show right here on Yesterday USA. Okay. Uh, I think Hearthstone of the Death Squad is, is on the OTRR library page. It's spelled H-E-A-R-T-H. What am I – say that again? I said Hearthstone of the Death Squad I think is at the OTRR Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. You're a little muffled tonight. Walden is fine, but you're a little muffled. I guess the beginning of it. It's okay. Now I'm closer. Uh, Hearthstone of the Dead Squad is in the library, the OTRR library. It's spelled H-E-A-R-T-H. Hearthstone. Hearthstone. There are three of them. It's a Larry Gassman recommendation. Oh, it sucks. (laughs) I love sucky shows. It's why radio died. Oh, well, it's one a, of the reasons radio died. This is good sucky show. All right, yep. now I'm I'm going to really get drummed out of the core tonight. Um, I have an episode of Philo Vance. Is anybody a Philo Vance fan? Not really. That's a terrible show. It it really is a terrible show. I mean, I like to listen to it once in a while, but it it sucks. Okay, are we ready? Ready. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show that brings you the worst of old-time radio. It's a lot more fun than that sounds. I'm Patricia, the person with the collection of really awful shows that are so bad they are wonderful. And each week, I pick one or two to make your ears smile. This week, I chose the Cypher murder case from April 26, 1949. It's an episode from the detective series Philo Vance. Philo Vance is an egotistical private detective who actually assumes the lead role in crime solving. In each show, the district attorney calls on Vance to help him solve a crime, and it's usually a murder. And, of course, Vance, with his superior skills, does just that. It's a peculiar setup since crime solving belongs to the police department, not the district attorney's office, and it's certainly not a private detective called in by the DA. The show was born in July 1945 with Jose Ferrer as Philo Vance. Ferrer is remembered as film, stage, and television actor, a producer, director, and he was an opera singer, a very fine opera singer. But his radio work is too often not even noted. Ferrer played Philo Vance until 1948 when Jackson Beck took over the role. Jackson Beck was a wealth of voices. He was so good that you might not be able to recognize him from show to show and role to role, including the character Bluto from the Popeye cartoons. But if I say the words, strange visitor from another planet, you'd know it's his voice that introduced Superman beginning in 1939. But back to Philo. 
I actually like listening to Philo Vance occasionally. It's campy, the murders are contrived, and the solutions sometimes leave me saying, you've got to be kidding. But it's one of the shows that just lets your mind accept the flaws. That, however, has not saved it from being dropped into the really awful show collection. The acting is overdone, the scripts are unrealistic, the dialogue is strained, dance is too flamboyant, and as happens with so many detective shows, the last few minutes of the show are taken up explaining the solution. It should have been Edmund during the sleuthing. But you be the judge. Here is the Cypher murder case from April 26, 1949, an episode from the detective series Philo Vance. We're back. That was the Cypher murder case, the April 26, 1949 episode from the Philo Vance series. Philo did it again. He solved the crime for District Attorney Markham who, as always, needed an explanation of what happened because he wasn't with it and not a police detective was to be had in the outcome. I think it belongs in the awful show collection, but you let me know what you think. I'm at floridawriter at hotmail.com. That's floridawriter at hotmail.com. And please join Walden Hughes and Main Live on Saturday nights at 10.30 Eastern. Give us a call. We're live and we love to talk. And uh, if you're having a good time with bad shows each week, find out how you can get your own copy of the collection. I'm Patricia. I'll be back next week with another treasure from my awful show collection. Thanks for being with all of us at Yesterday USA. Okay, I'm going to have you pick it up. I think, so, I think we should so we call her back. And it will get a cleaner connection. Oh, no, hang on, because it, it, it'll get better here in a second. Uh, we'll have you pick it up from Please Join Me Saturday night. But talk for a second. Let's see if it's improved. Okay. I'll do the paragraph before it. I think it belongs in the Awful Show collection. Yeah, that's good. But, okay, it's, it's back now, so we're good. So pick it up there. So just pick it up there? Yep. <clears throat> okay. I think it belongs in the Awful Show collection, but let me know what you think. I'm at floridawriter at hotmail.com. That's floridawriter at hotmail.com. Or you can join Walden Hughes and me live on Saturday nights at 10.30 Eastern. Give us a call. We're live, and we really would love to talk to you. And if you're having a good time with the bad shows each week, find out how you can get your own copy of the collection. I'm Patricia. I'll be back next week with another treasure from my awful show collection. Thanks for being with all of us at Yesterday USA. Okay, that's much better. That's okay? That's good. I can close that one.
everybody. And it is Tuesday, April 30th, 2013. I'm along with you, sitting in for Bill and Mike. I don't know why. I'm just here. I just do a radio show. Anyway, that's all me. Anyway, so I guess Bill and Mike are not able to do the show. I got a rep planning meeting to go to now. So, we're going to feature an interview that I did today. I did three of them, but we're going to feature one now. What's up, dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity of being here. Bless all the listeners and supporters of the station. Look after Bill, Kim, and everybody waiting to the staff. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Here's the gentleman who is now leading the Xavier Cougat Orchestra. Here we go. Hi, everybody. I'm Walton Hughes on the line. I bet a very, very basic gentleman at this time of the year. Greg, and I hope I don't blow this last name, everybody. Perhagen. Is that very well, close? <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. Uh, Pernhagen. Pernhagen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I always tell, I always tell people it's like Hagen Dazs with a pern in front of it. So. <laughs> Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about the Xavier Cougat band and a little bit about Greg's music background. First of all, Greg, how in the world did you get involved in music? Well, I got involved in music uh, because I was musically inclined from childhood. I, um, you know, just always I loved to sing. I played the piano. I mean, we had a, my grandparents gave us a piano and I just, you know, climbed up on the bench by the time I was like probably not even four years old and I started playing by ear and it kind of went from there. You know, I um, loved music uh, in grade school, picked up the clarinet after the piano, um, eventually took lessons on both of those things. Um, stopped singing for a while when my voice changed when mm-hmm. I was a teenager. Uh-oh. Uh, but then I got back into it again uh, when I was about 16 or, yeah, I guess 16 years old. Right. I was encouraged to uh, do that. And I, at the time, was also, you know, quite proficient at clarinet and thought I might go for a horn player's life. Mm-hmm. Um but then when it came time to go off to a conservatory, I decided to go with voice. I just said, oh, something about it really, you know, just hit me even uh, more deeply right. musically. So that's uh, that's kind of like the uh, the basic background or the early background. So did you study classical voice training in, in the conservatory? What, what did you actually wind up studying in terms of voice? I, well, I started... Uh, as actually, it's funny. I, I was a baritone, but okay. when I got when I got to school, um, I had a uh, really you know very gifted and you know wise mentor who thought that my voice was so lyric that I must be a tenor, and so he kind of pushed me up for a while, and uh, it just didn't really work. But eventually, I found another teacher, and after working with him for some time and feeling frustrated about not being able to sustain you know the high tessitura. Right. I said, you know, I started out as a baritone, and he said, well, let's take you back down and see what happens, and so that's what we did. And uh, and yes, it was basically, uh, you know, just your typical conservatory training, classical, you know, languages, diction, um, you know, movement, all of those things. Sure. And then after the conservatory, what, what have you pursued in terms of your music background? 
Well, uh, here's where it gets really interesting. Um, when I started singing again, uh, you know, in high school, right. I, you know, started doing musical theater, you know, and those sort of things. And that was a lot of the music that I grew up with. Um, I have an older sister who also uh, was studying voice and was singing. Um, she was quite a bit older than I am mm-hmm. uh, because I was adopted when I was a kid. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, so that there was all the sheet music in the house, and I think, you know, that's why the piano was there. And I, I was kind of drawn to, you know, the Tin Pan Alley and the American Songbook. Right. But when I started doing the classical thing, I, of course, was doing art songs and, you know, arias and oratorio and yeah. going that whole route. Um, but I always, you know, I, I still occasionally, you know, would indulge in doing the other, you know, types of music, American, you know, the popular song. Um, and what happened is because of the clarinet, I think the training, I developed a really great ear for atonal music and 20th century music. And so I started doing a lot of contemporary music because a lot of composers in New York found out that, you know, I could just read pretty much anything they put in front of me. And so I was able to handle a lot of really, you know, eclectic and crazy pieces. And so that's kind of where things started to go. Um, but I always wanted to also, you know, pursue the older music, right. you know, the, the, the American music. Right. And so I started doing, uh, putting together cabaret shows that I worked with a you know, musical director and started going that route and uh, did a few of them and then kind of got swept up again into the new music scene and uh, became affiliated with Philip Glass, with the uh, composer. Mm-hmm and his ensemble and started doing a lot of touring. And on top of that, I got into another quartet that was a kind of virtuosic acapella group. Uh, the composer's name was Toby Twining and he wrote the music and was a countertenor, soprano countertenor, uh, tenor and me bass. Mm. And we got picked up by BMG. We got management. We started to do his music, which is really kind of crazy, almost like Bobby McFerrin meets Manhattan Transfer. <laughs> You know, really, you know, if, if you could find if you can find it, I think it's been re, the album has been reissued. Uh, it's really otherworldly. It's like nothing that anyone else was doing. I mean, it's kind of like Bobby McFerrin, but it's a little more spacey and out there. Um, so all of that was going on. And so I just kind of put the other stuff in, on the back burner. Right. And then 9-11 happened. And I thought, you know, you just never know if you're going to be here tomorrow and you know, you shouldn't put off the things that you really want to do. And I just had this ache that I wanted to at least be doing cabaret again, if not taking it even further. And so I started working again. And one of the ideas that I had for a show was about Desi Arnaz, because I am half Cuban, Mm -hmm. even though my last name is Pernhagen. And uh, since I was adopted, I didn't grow up with any Latino culture. It was Mm -hmm. all, you know, middle-class, Italian-American, you know, just, you know, an American family. Right. But, of course, I related to Desi because, I guess I should say I related to Ricky Ricardo because I saw him on TV every day. Yeah. I, you know, he was musical. He had a big temper. I had a big temper because I think, I, you know, I'm Cuban. I have a temper. You know, when I was a kid, I would have these, you know, these huge tantrums and I could be so hot-headed. And so that was one of the, the ideas that I wrote down. And I did a couple of shows just to get back into it. 
And then I decided to tackle that. Mm -hmm. And so I researched his life, became so fascinated because I realized, even though I was a huge fan of the show, I love Lucy, I really didn't know a lot about his actual background. Right. And, uh, you know, and his the business acumen and, I mean, you know, what he, you know, how he created S.A. Lu and just yep. the things that he did without any formal business training, without, you know, becoming, I mean, just getting into the business without really studying music, I mean, just kind of falling into it, I thought was incredible. And, and it was so much fun to do his music. Uh, you know, I looked into what his band played and I, you know, didn't do just the songs for My Love Lucy, but I kind of expanded it. And so ended up doing some of the rep that the Krugat Orchestra was also doing because that was the rep of the time. And it was you know, yep. sort of what who got introduced to the, you know, to the States. And so the show went really well and I got really nice reviews. Um, I won a, an award from Backstage Magazine. And then a couple of people, uh, producers approached me about turning it into an off-Broadway show. So we looked at the cabaret. We decided to expand it. We decided to um, increase Lucy's involvement. And we put it up, and it was the fall of 2008, which was, of course, when the market crashed. Yep, yep. yep. And, you know, my little tiny show about that, you know, I couldn't keep it going. It just, you know, everything faltered. I mean, just people stopped going out in New York and, you know, pretty much everywhere because nobody knew what was going to happen. So, you know, so folded. And and for our audience, it's not cheap to... Take you to unions and everything to go do a Broadway show or an off-Broadway Absolutely. show. Absolutely, and, nah. and pay the, the licensing oh, for yeah. licensing for the songs. Um, you know the overhead. Yeah. Um, you know all of which I learned kind of on the fly. I mean, I wasn't really producing the show, but I, you know, was more involved because I had put it together and I, right. you know, brought my the musicians uh, that came in had been working with me, and so I felt a lot of responsibility. Um, you know, which also made me identify a little bit with both Desi and Ricky Ricardo, you know, and when yep. you have a band, yep. it's a lot of mouths to feed, you know, you, yep. and you're, you know, you're, uh, everyone's looking at you, right. you've got the, the baton in your hand and you're up there. So, um, so, so the show, you know, the, the show had to close sadly, but I was able to keep it going with a couple of, you know, sporadic performances and this is all, there's a point to this ladies and gentlemen, uh, <laughs> that will lead us to Xavier Cougat. Um, I was going to do the show out on Long Island at Hofstra University, mm-hmm. and I got a call from my director, um, you know, I don't know, about a month before we were uh, scheduled to uh, to do the performances, and he said, have you ever heard of a guy named Bob Kasha? And I said, no. I said, well, he called me up, and he said, you know, that he had something to do with the Xavier Cougat Orchestra, and he was really interested in talking to you. And so, of course, I was interested to talk to him as well, so he... So the director, you know, put us in touch with, you, with each other. And so what it turns out is that Bob Kasha was a, a big band booking agent with the Willard Alexander Agency ah. in New York. And um, I think he probably started, I don't know, maybe late 50s and into the 60s. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, also a pianist, a really fine, you know, sort of filigree style uh, player. Um, and, you know, Willard, you know, fired him initially and then brought him back and he and eventually became one of the most successful booking agents in the office. So he worked with everyone. He worked with, 
you know, Glenn Miller's orchestra and Tommy Dorsey and Ellington. I mean, just, you know, all the big, big names yep, yep. came through that, that, that agency. So um, he was doing that for a long time, and his wife, Ada Kasha Cavallo, was uh, a singer. And she had a nightclub act, and she had a career. You know, she opened for Bob Hope and you know, you know, Dick Damone, and had a really nice uh, career going as a solo act. You know, sometimes with a small ensemble. Mm -hmm. They met, and it's a wonderful story, but you know, maybe I won't do that right now. Um, and they got married, and they were both kind of working in their separate careers, and they decided that maybe it would be fun to do something together. So when Reagan was his second inaugural ball he i don't know he somehow it became known that he wanted to have the xavier cookout orchestra hmm. at his at one of the inaugural balls because right. he loved the, the music and you know he'd been around you know on the scene back yeah. when it was all fresh and new yeah so bob uh, with the help of tito puente put together an ensemble to play for the event and it got lots of press, and it was a big hit. And some people said, you know, hey, you know, Kugat, you know, Kugat had tried to keep things going, but he had sort of basically retired, right? And let everything fold. This is, I'm guessing, this is like probably like 1985, I think. Yeah, and yeah, I, just about. And I think Xavier lived into his 90s, around 2000, if I recall, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so, so Bob. Uh, approached Kugat and said, you know, there's interest in this and, you know, would you let us run with it? And Kugat, of course, you know, he was such a, an astute businessman. He always wanted to make money. Mm -hmm. He basically uh, sold them the rights to the name and gave them his archives and all of the music. I mean, so they had the deck, they had all the arrangements. Right. Um, and so they took it and they called themselves the New Xavier Kugat Orchestra and they started to tour. Um, so, so they were going and going and going, 85, you know, now we're talking 2000, like nine. Right. So, you know, like 25 years almost. Mm -hmm. They were ready to retire. So they had been looking for somebody to come in. And Ada had been conducting the orchestra. Bob was, you know, leading at the piano, but Ada basically was fronting. And they had brought in a couple of guys who did, uh, you know, Jesse Arnaz impersonations, and, you know, just to add that element to the show. Right, right. Because, of course, you know, most big band people will know that, you know, Desi was discovered, in fact, by Xavier Cougat. Mm -hmm. And if it weren't for Xavier Cougat, you know, who knows where his life would have taken him out of Miami. Right. So, so they tried a couple of guys and uh, just, you know, didn't really find the right person. It wasn't, they were more performers, they weren't, you know, conductors per se. So they put it on the back burner. And then they saw a notice that I was going to be appearing in the show called Baba Lucy. That was the name of my show. It was ah. Baba Lucy, the, the Art of Desi Arnaz. Mm -hmm. uh, play on Baba Lucy, sure. or I mean Baba Lou, and also I Love Lucy, because yeah, I really focused on him, but it did have a little touch of, of the show. Right. And so that's why Bob got excited. So they contacted me, and we, um, you know, we traded materials, CDs, and DVDs, and, you know, press yeah. kits. Yep. And then they decided that they thought that, you know, I was, uh, you know, sent from heaven, basically. <laughs> um, because I, you know, fit the bill. I mean, I, I could bring the Desi element to their show, but I also had a really strong musical background, and I, you know, had actually studied conducting. And it was one of my dreams, really, what to, when I was in my 20s, was to conduct, and then, you know, just got wrapped up in, 
in a performing career and thought, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. Right. I never dreamed that I might come back to a place where I would be able to have another, you know, have a chance to do it. Sure. Um, but that's what's happened. So, um, so we've put the band back together, and uh, we've had a few shows, and they've gone really well. And uh, you know, just basically putting it back out there, and you know, looking to gain momentum and word of mouth, and and you know, just bring it to uh, as many people as I can because the music is so fantastic. Oh, a more seminal, great. For people who may or may have forgotten, Xavier Cougar really hit it big in America about 1944. That during the tail end of the Second World War, and there was a strong love for Latin music during that time. And he was one. Well, he was kind of one of the first. Yeah. Um, so uh, people were just they were galvanized. Yep. And well, most you know. people might have forgotten that Desi wound up his band wound up being part of the Bob Hope Radio Show in 1947. Exactly, and, Desi was the musical director. Yeah. That and, was something that blew my mind. I had I didn't know that. And so you had a strong love for the sound. And uh so so Greg, what's what talk about the band itself? How is mm-hmm. it flexible? Can you go down to a small piece? Do you go up to the sixteen? What's the well, compensation? What how do you put it together basically? Well we basically uh what Bob and Ada had been doing, they had been working with uh, 13 pieces. Um, and, you know, there was talk of, you know, if you ever, if we got the budget, you know, we could add strings because Cougat did have strings yeah. involved. Um, but the, the funny thing is, and they told me this when they met with him and then they, you know, got the library and started to look at things. I mean, Cougat was always, uh, I don't know if you want to say improvising or just being, he was extremely flexible. He would... You know, he'd have a job where they'd want, you know, 32 pieces, mm-hmm. and he'd say, "Okay, fine." And but then they, you know, he they have arrangements, you know, for three trombones, two violins, and you know, and and three saxophones. I mean, there were just all these kind of crazy permutations depending upon what was called for. Right. Um, so, so what I've done and what I was encouraged to do was to come with a smaller, to have a, a medium-sized format, uh, because just in this economic climate, it's really difficult to sell a, a big band yeah. because of you know, the overhead. Um, so we do, of course, have a big show, which has 13 pieces. Um, it also usually can involve a dance team, which I've worked with, which I inherited from, from Bob and Ada. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a girl singer. I've occasionally, I have a comic singer who does you know, some novelty numbers. But then we also have an eight-piece uh, ensemble, which is just kind of scaled down and, and again, that can be, you know, depending upon the presenter, we can have involve as many or as, as few extra bells and whistles as necessary. Uh, because it just seems like a, a, a better way to at least get things out there so that yeah. people can hear it and, and get excited. And it's, you know, there's still the same arrangements. Um, when I did uh, Baba Lucy, since I was producing it myself, I couldn't really afford to have the big band that I heard in my head, but yeah. I had a really talented musical director and arranger, and so we used basically piano, bass, drums, congas, and just three horns. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we got a nice sound out of it. Um, so I'm adding it, making it a little bit bigger uh, for the Kugat show, um, but just, you know, trying to be as adaptable as possible. So When you do go out and play, 
How much? What? What's the book like? I mean, when you go out and run run down your arrangement for the night, are there so many of the famous Latin songs? Do you go for you bring in stuff? You bring in so yeah. many of the American song book. How do you actually mix the the uh, the program for the evening? Well, um, I mean, right now it's it's so new for me. I mm-hmm. mean, I've basically been doing the same program, and there there are all these other songs which I eventually would like to incorporate into the repertoire, but I mean, we're talking about, you know, Brazil, yep. um, you know, of course, my shawl, his theme song, yep. uh, Frenesi, uh, La Comparsita, which is done as a live tango with the dancers, right. um, Mambo Number no. 5, um, Quien Será, and then we've incorporated... Come do your convention and go home. We've incorporated... Come do your convention and go home. We've incorporated. Come do your convention and go home. We've incorporated. Come do your. One man's family, brought to you by T A B C I N Tabson. The new improved antihistaminic compound cold tablets made by Miles Laboratories, makers of Alka-Seltzer. One Man's Family is dedicated to the mothers and fathers of the younger generation and to their bewildering offspring. Today we present Chapter 7, Book 73, entitled A Day for Jubilation. Friends of One Man's Family, this is Paul Barber. You've just heard the name of the new product which is to be sponsored on this show by Miles Laboratories, Tabson. I'm not going to try to explain Tabson because that's a job of our announcer. All I want to do is make you aware that Tabson is an antihistaminic tablet for colds and hay fever, that it's made by a manufacturer of drugs and medicines with a worldwide reputation, and that we're bringing it to you on One Man's Family because we have great faith not only in Miles Laboratories but in what they say about Tabson. Join with us in making this new product welcome as a permanent part of one man's family. Thank you. The postman who delivers the mail in the Seacliff District of San Francisco sorts his letters in the post office preparatory to his customary rounds. He glances at the names and plops the letters into his leathern sack. They're familiar names... Hmm, quite a little bundle for Henry Barber. Not the usual type of letter Mr. Barber receives. Something special at that household? Mr. Paul Barber, letter with a foreign stamp. A couple of circulars. You were over home the day Mother practically discovered Tabson all by herself. Oh, yeah, Tabson, the new antihistamine cold tablet. Of course. Does it really work? Of course it works. It works wonders. The woman says wonders. And I mean wonders. Dan came home with a beautiful case of sniffles and sneezes, growling and complaining of a sore throat, the usual symptoms. Yeah, even I could diagnose a cold coming on a mile off. So I brought out the Tabson bottle and had him take a tablet right then and there. He took another one before bedtime, and the next morning he felt fine. That's enough for me. The Daniel Murray household will never be without Tabson. Yes, Tabson, T-A-B-C-I-N. The new and different antihistamine cold tablet. 
Cabsin is a medically tested combination of antihistaminic, analgetic, and antipyretic ingredients compounded to help you check cold symptoms fast and give more complete relief. Cabsin does more to check cold symptoms because it contains an effective antihistamine to check the sneezing and sniffling and relieve that stuffed-up nose. Cabsin does more for you because the analgetic relieves the ache all over misery of a cold. Cabsin does more because it helps reduce the fever of a cold. Cabsin does more because it contains a special ingredient to combat that dull, drowsy feeling. That's what we mean when we say Tabson is an improved compound formula. Tabson offers you more complete relief for your cold. So remember, at the first sign of a cold, take Tabson quick. T-A-B-C-I-N. Tabson for colds in the bright red package at all drugstores. You've just heard Chapter 8, Book 73 of One Man's Family. Written and produced under the direction of Carlton E. Morse for T-A-B-C-I-N. Tabson, the new improved antihistaminic compound cold tablet made by Miles Laboratories, makers of Alka-Seltzer. Chapter 9, entitled Concerts and a Brother versus a Marriage, will come to you next week at this same time. And now the family invites you to stay tuned to the Quiz Kids, who follow immediately over most of these stations. Today's Quiz Kids program features four children, winners of local competitions throughout the country. One Man's Family comes to you from California. You're tuned for the stars on NBC. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you soon this week.